Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Drug Fix, the Pink Sheets Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined all the way from Edinburgh by executive editor Ian Schofield, as well as U.S.-based executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. Today is January 4th, 2024. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Today, we're going to continue our look back and look ahead for the FDA and pharma industry by revisiting major legislative initiatives that impacted 2023. Now, of course, we won't have time to get into all the nitty gritty of everything, but we will try to discuss what we saw and think and think about how those initiatives will affect the pharma industry in 2024. First up is the European Commission's new directive and regulation that will revise and replace the current general pharmaceutical legislation. It is the biggest reform of the rules governing medicines in the EU in nearly 20 years. Ian, you've been covering this closely. Give us a sense of what could change and where we are in the process. Okay, there's, it's a big package. As you mentioned, there is a draft directive, a draft regulation, um, and between them, they cover all the areas of pharmaceutical regulation that were cover, covered by the existing um, system. The The whole point of the revision uh, is, as you say, it's, it's, it's a creaking framework that's nearly about 20 years old now. And they somehow they need to keep up with technical um, progress, new kinds of therapies coming through the pipeline, gene therapies, etc., um, and new ways of regulating products will be needed. So on the on the regulatory front, the 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 the, the key change will be um, in terms of the speed of new drug assessments at the European Medicines Agency. Um, the, at, at the moment, they um, have about 210 days to, to assess a new drug, and that will be reduced by 30 days to, to 180 days. And the Commission will also have a shorter time to convert that opinion into a new drug uh, approval. There will be other um, changes at the EMA, including cutting the number of committees down to two from five or six at the moment and moving that expertise into new working groups, which according to the Commission will make the EMA much more flexible in the way that it interacts with pharmaceutical companies who have who've filed uh, marketing authorization applications. It will make it easier for them to offer earlier and more structured scientific advice as well, which will um, help companies um, in, in preparing their, their dossier um, for submission to the EMA. Uh, so th- those are the, the those are the main changes on the regulatory front, uh, as well as a new temporary emergency marketing authorization, which will be used for future approvals of drugs related to pandemics. And the in, in parallel with that, the, the Commission's proposing to introduce um, a regulatory sandbox which will be used as an experimental closed area for testing new kinds of drug technologies that might not fit into the current regulatory framework. Um, All all these are very interesting proposals and they they seem to be um, favoured by the EMA itself, although there are are some disagreements over whether the regulatory sandbox as it's currently proposed would be fit for purpose. That's very interesting. Um, In your mind, what's kind of the most important thing they're tar- they're talking about here, the most important change that, you know, potentially could be implemented? Um, in terms of regulation, uh, I think it's, it's probably the, the the streamlining of the European Medicines Agency. There have been many complaints that there's, there's too many 
committees for companies to interact with and too many areas where um, the the lack of maybe the lack of communication between different parts of the agency is slowing down reviews and the senior agency personnel have, have conceded that themselves and they realize that something needs to be done so I think together with that slimming down of the structure of the MA together with the planned reduction in regulatory review times would be the most um, impactful measure for companies with products uh, that they uh, to be approved through the EU centralized approval system. This all sounds uh, great, Ian. Is there anything uh, um, uh, aspect of the uh, the proposals that uh, um, pharma might not like, um, or is oh, it just there, all uh, rainbows? There's no no way is it all rainbows. There are many <laughs> many areas that haven't gone down haven't gone down very well with the uh, the R and D based pharmaceutical industry. The the main one which has caused the the most debate both um, within industry and amongst the legislators is a proposal to, to cut the baseline um, period of, of regulatory data protection from eight years to six. Uh, this is exactly what industry doesn't want because they obviously data protection is one of the key incentives for um, carrying out very expensive innovation. And if you're, if you're losing two years of data protection, that means earlier generic or biosimilar competition. Um, certainly not what the industry would like to see. Now, the Commission in to compensate for this loss are, are proposing a whole raft of ways that companies can recoup some of that lost RDP, um, one of which is to launch a new product in all member states, which will give it uh, another couple of years of, of RDP. Um, they can also get extra protection for fulling, fulfilling an unmet medical need, uh, gaining a new therapeutic indication for the product, and also um, an additional year of data protection could be um, could be won if a company is awarded what they're uh, one of the proposed transferable exclusivity vouchers that are intended to encourage the development of new antimicrobials. Now that all sounds very well, but um, actually gaining these additional periods will not be easy. Uh, it's very unlikely that a company will be able to meet all those criteria. Um, the, the, the most controversial one is the requirement for launch of a new product in all EU member states to get the extra two years. Now, that will be very difficult. Companies point out that it's uh, it's really not up to them how long it takes to get a product launched in the EU because there are 27 different member states, all with different uh, rules and regulations on pricing and reimbursement. And in, in some countries, it can take two, three hundred days to, to agree a reimbursement price and actually get the product on the market. So because the Commission is proposing um, to have products or will be requiring products to be launched in all member states within within two years. Companies are saying there's no way we can do that in two years for all the member states. Uh, so that that's going to be one of the most difficult um, proposals to get through the European Parliament. The um, an, another downside for R&D companies is a, a cut, a proposed cut in the market protection period for orphan drugs from 10 years to nine. Although here again, companies will be able to recoup, recoup some of that protection by either marketing in all member states or gaining a new indication for the product. 
we've had a lot of comments from FPO, which represents R&D pharma firms in the EU, which basically are saying that the proposals will undermine R&D in Europe while failing to achieve another objective of the of the revision, which is to improve access to medicines for patients. And they say this requirement for um, launching a product in all, all member states within two years is fundamentally flawed. And is uh, they say it's an impossible target for companies to meet. Uh, interestingly, the uh, cut in, in RDP is, as, as currently proposed is also not, hasn't gone down very well with the generics or biosimilar industry because they, they say rather than um, awarding additional regulatory data protection periods, they should offer additional market exclusivity because that would give um, generic companies more leeway in getting their drugs through the um, through the pipeline and approved for marketing rather than having to um, lose data, uh, rather than having to wait until the data protection has expired. Um, so th those are the two most controversial measures in in the whole package, and they're probably the ones that will hold up the negotiations uh, in, in the European Parliament and the Council of the EU. In terms of launching in all 27 countries, I mean, does that happen a lot now? I mean, I mean, I assume it happens with some drugs. I mean, it happens probably eventually, but it's not like something that's, you know, you go in saying, okay, we're going to, we're applying in every country like right this second as soon as we get mm -hmm. EU approval, right? Yeah, generally uh, with a new product, a company will choose the markets it wants to mark it wants to launch in first. Usually, uh, com countries like Germany, where you get free pricing for a certain period of time, or other ones where there there is more clarity and more efficiency on the pricing and reimbursement front. But it's usually only a, a subset of I don't know, maybe half a dozen or more countries where a company will choose to launch first and then once they've focused on those they'll then turn to looking at the situation in other EU member states uh, so that that could well be spread across a long period of time now maybe more than probably more than two years so requiring to to meet that two-year standard and unless they're a small or medium-sized company in which they'll have three years to do the same uh it, it sounds like a very unrealistic prospect yeah it's it's that's really interesting and and i guess not surprisingly a lot of these problems that industry has seem to be similar to the problems industry has in the united states so mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> whether it's you know in, including the rare disease industry when they want to cut cut incentives for orphan drug development and 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 do you know cut exclusivity to kind of you know to kind of reduce some of the pressure on or put put some more pressure on pricing so it's yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting interesting set of problems so yes yeah the same problems in different form yeah, yeah. so i i guess thinking thinking ahead now into 2024 i mean how how long is it going to take for this to get done if it gets done it's going to take a long time. The, as far as I recall, the the last major revision in two thousand and four took um, a, a, maybe two or three years to get the whole thing through um, the legislative procedure. It's not known for its speed, and because there are so many bodies involved and so many member states, uh, the whole thing can be a, a bit of a nightmare. Now, with with this package, um, we have 
the draft regulation, which has one rapporteur in the European Parliament, and draft regulation, which uh, draft directive, which has another rapporteur, and they've taken very different stances on the most controversial issues, which is uh, the data protection, and uh, also on the regulatory sandbox. The the regulator for the rapporteur for the regulation is is uh, isn't in favour of this sandbox and wants the idea dropped, and is also dropped or changed, and is also against the exclusivity voucher proposal. Um, so each of those rapporteurs will be representing a different um, um, political party or grouping in the in the parliament. So there's plenty of room for di uh, for uh, diversions in views there, and there will also be disagreements between the EU member states who are represented on the Council of the EU, um, which is also which is the the other partner in the in the whole legislative legislative procedure. So. Um, even at the best of times, these things take a long, long time. And with with controversial proposals like this and a lot of detail as well, particularly in, in areas such as uh, def the proposed definition of unmet need and high unmet medical need, um, there, there, there's, there's a lot of room for um, very long, drawn out debate. And the, the situation is complicated more by the fact that the European elections are being held in June this year. So the whole process, uh, the according to lawyers I've spoken to, it's very unlikely that any joint position will be agreed between the Parliament and the Council before June, which means the whole thing will be put on hold um, probably well before June because the 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 campaign for the, the Parliament will be um, already be uh, in progress by then then there will be a change of parliament and and we don't know who might then be in charge of leading the negotiations in parliament it could be two completely new rapporteurs depending on the complexion of the new parliament so it's it's as far as i can tell and from what lawyers have said it could very well um move into 2025 or more well <laughs> Although I, I shouldn't be surprised because legislation here in the U.S. takes just as long. So, sure. <laughs> well, I'm really interested to see how this plays out in the coming months. Thanks, Ian, for this uh, for this update. I, you know, really appreciate it. That's okay. We'll we'll be keeping a very close eye on how things go, particularly in the first six months of this year. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see what they can get done before the uh, before campaign season starts, sure. so to speak. Next, we're going to look at drug pricing reform in the U.S. Matt, the infamous drug price negotiation legislation took effect and implementation began in 2023. Well, how is the initial rollout going? Um, I, I guess it depends on your perspective, either uh, um, very well or uh, as as bad as you could imagine. So uh, um, you know, the Biden <laughs> administration likes to uh, um, say that they're, uh, um, you know, uh, um, uh, getting prices down. Uh, there was just the uh, the $35 cap on insulin that sort of kind of was, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, um, went into effect uh, um, beginning of this year that uh, will, I think, sort of kind of make a, uh, a large difference for a number of uh, um, number of patients and the uh, uh, the the bigger shoe to drop, uh, um, uh, I suppose, will come in September when the uh, the prices for the uh, first 10 drugs that will be uh, negotiated by Medicare is going to be announced. Uh, that's sort of kind of not quite an October surprise in terms of the uh, election season, but it's a uh, um, you know fairly close to the election uh, um, uh, date in November, so uh, expect a lot of uh, 
attention and the hoopla around that. Uh, although, uh, given that most of them are already heavily discounted, uh, um, you know, the the bottom line impact for the companies may be um, maybe limited, but it will certainly be uh, described as a, a huge win for patients and a uh, um, you know a victory for Biden over the uh, the nasty uh, um, uh, rapacious uh, drug companies. So. Uh, um, It'll be another uh, um, electoral campaign season with, uh, um, you know, uh, um, industry in the crosshairs from, uh, from from pretty much everyone, I suppose. So I, I guess it, I'm curious about two things, and I'm I'm guessing a lot of people are, a lot of other people are too. What are the prices going to be agreed to, and will they ever get to that stage? Because you know, there's I, I lost count of how many lawsuits are pending now trying to either overturn or delay or both this whole process. The first thing I don't think anyone knows yet, but I guess I'm curious what you think will happen on the legal front. Is there, is there sub, I mean, can, can you run out the clock so to speak on this or, you know, or at least, you know, at least throw it into so much confusion that, that, you know, we have to wait for the Supreme court to make a decision or, you know, force Congress to, you know, kind of, you know, do some updates or something like that on the legislative side. Yeah, I would be surprised if this did not end up eventually at the Supreme Court. I would also be a little surprised if they uh, ruled on this before the first uh, round of uh, drug prices came out, just sort of given how uh, um, things can just sort of grind out in uh, um, in court. Uh, you know, uh, many of the um, the government's arguments are well, it's, it's it isn't impacting you yet because you uh, you haven't had to. You haven't been subject to the prices, and so uh, they may have to, uh, um, you know, have a drug company that's been subject to the prices to sort of kind of move that uh, case uh, forward in uh, um, uh, in in that regard. So uh, that I think those, those cases will sort of not uh, not impact uh, the um, the legislation this year, uh, but obviously sort of kind of the legal overhang uh, will remain uh, um, for the program. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's an interesting. This whole thing is an interesting issue and you know especially in 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 uh, perspective that um, our colleague Kathy Kelly who couldn't be with us today wrote wrote about today as a matter of fact where she was she was looking at ideas on what could happen to the pharma industry under another Donald Trump administration should that happen he is the Republican frontrunner at the moment was with, with um, primaries about to begin you know one of the things they kind of talked about was that uh, the people she talked to discussed was that there there wasn't a whole lot of kind of enthusiasm to defend pharma on the Republican side, which is a little surprising. Traditionally, you know, Republicans have like pharma because they like innovation. They like, you know, they like uh, and that's kind of how they got into their healthcare. You know, healthcare is good type of arguments and so forth. I, I'm 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 curious if you know that kind of perception can change, you know, in the coming year. You know, whether it's through the price you know, if they the price negotiation type of thing, or the you know the defending innovation type of argument that's been made uh, in a lot of case, a lot of debates on this. I mean, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, the uh, the fact that drug prices are. Uh, too high is, uh, or the, the opinion that drug prices are too high is, you know, one of the, the last uh, 
uh, areas of bipartisan agreement in uh, in America. So it's not surprising that uh, Republican rhetoric is uh, uh, not dissimilar from uh, Democratic rhetoric in this uh, um, in this regard. In terms of policymaking, I think that there uh, there still is a big gap between uh, um, the parties in terms of what they were uh, um, what they will do. Uh, um, in terms of regulating uh, uh, prices and the uh, the industry overall, uh, um, obviously the uh, the uh, the IRA, the Medicare uh, uh, pricing le- legislation, did not come about uh, until uh, um, Democrats had a trifecta in the House, Senate, and uh, um, and White House. So uh, um, uh, that that uh, um, you know is 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 still a factor, even if they sort of kind of you're you're going to uh, um, see a lot of uh, farmer bashing on the campaign trail from both. Uh, um, Red and blue candidates, so uh, um, that's an issue uh, to uh, um, that uh, um, uh, industry has to be aware of. And as you were saying, it's sort of uh, um, uh, bitterly ironic that sort of kind of that the uh, um, uh, the worst piece of pricing legislation for industries were kind of followed very closely through kind of perhaps the uh, industry's greatest triumph in terms of sort of kind of uh, um, delivering uh, innovation to. Uh, um, uh, to Americans in the world with the uh, um, the COVID vaccines, that's sort of kind of that they were uh, um, relied on to sort of kind of do uh, um, do everything that they say they're capable of in uh, in record time, and they uh, they delivered, and their uh, their uh, reward was a uh, um, a nasty bit of uh, um, legislation and a lot of uh, um, you know kind of uh, um, angry rhetoric uh, um, uh, right after that. So. Uh, um, We'll see what happens in the next pandemic in terms of sort of how uh, um, eager they are to uh, um, uh, to 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 go out yeah. and uh, make this stuff. But uh, obviously, it sort of worked out pretty well for uh, um, uh, Moderna and uh, um, and Pfizer. They're obviously sort of kind of having a little bit of a uh, um, uh, recovery headache after those uh, um, those uh, um, bombastic uh, sales uh, um, with their vaccines uh, um, and their performance. will have to adjust. Uh, um, Accordingly, but uh, I think they were both probably happy to have uh, um, to produce those vaccines and uh, and gotten it done. And uh, you know, I think you'll uh, um, you hear that from uh, um, pharma execs uh, um, as things go on during this campaign season. That uh, um, you know, uh, we'll just we're just going to have to do uh, do what we do to advance the medicines we can, and uh, um, hope that the uh, the regulatory and the policy environment uh, um, allow us to keep doing it. So uh, um, uh, that's. Uh, um, that's what they'll be doing. Um, in terms of Kathy's story, which I really enjoyed, and uh, you know, uh, we can probably link to in the show notes so everyone can uh, can read it if they haven't had a chance. You know, there are two um, uh, fundamental issues uh, here. One is for kind of what uh, would a uh, Republican administration do with pharma, and then uh, two is what would a Trump administration do with pharma. And obviously, uh, um, from uh, uh, the uh, um, from the last. Uh, um, uh, go around with Trump, you'll see you would expect a lot more rhetoric uh, against pharma companies than uh, um, than you perhaps would with a, a generic Republican. But uh, um, you know there wasn't as much of a uh, um, a policy push against the uh, industry as you might have imagined had uh, um, uh, you know uh, someone who uh, you know famously said that the industry was getting away with murder actually should have been really focused on uh, um, making reform proposals. So. Uh, um, you know there are a uh, um, a few levers that the uh, um, Trump administration or the Republican uh, administration could be uh, could be pulling. It was uh, um, interesting that she uh, observed that there's not much that would happen with the IRA with the Medicare price setting, just given sort of how the law has been set up. That the uh, you know Republican administration might provide some more transparency, um, but over the first uh, um, few years. 
the law is pretty much uh, uh, set, sort of given how uh, um, how it was written, that there's not uh, too much that a uh, um, a new administration could do in terms of sort of kind of changing how the uh, the next few years of uh, um, you know uh, drug picking and uh, uh, price setting uh, um, go in terms of the negotiation process. So uh, um, uh, don't expect. Uh, um, major reforms on uh, um, on that front, even if uh, Trump or uh, um, in the likely unlikely event there's another Republican nominee who kind of wins in November, as uh, um, as Ian was saying, you know that there's a lot up in the air uh, um, uh, because of the election, sort of both on uh, um, uh, both in Europe uh, um, and then in the uh, um, in the United States. Uh, um, I would not uh, really expect any major legislation to uh, um, to happen this uh, um, this year, given that certain kind of uh, neither side wants to give the other one a uh, a chance to uh, declare victory uh, um, in terms of their uh, um, you know in terms of passing the legislation. So uh, um, that's where things stand uh, um, from my perspective. Yeah, I assume you by by no major legislation, you're also lumping in PBM reform into that into that bucket. Just but you know that was something that was worked on. Throughout 2023, they they weren't able to finish it up. You know, I'm guessing that you know there won't. No one wants to give either side a victory on this. You know, with you know primaries and general elections coming up in a few months. Yeah, as you're uh, as you're saying, I mean, there's obviously no uh, um, absolute law that it can't happen. I know that uh, um, uh, you know, sort of I think Padufa um, won. Uh, I don't think they were calling it that then, but uh, Padufa won passed during a uh, a presidential. Uh, um, election year so uh, um stranger things have uh, um have happened but uh um you know it uh, it, would, it would surprise me if uh, um um if the pbm legislation uh, moved uh, um move forward uh, you know i think the uh, the only thing congress is probably going to be doing this uh, um this year is arguing about the uh, um uh, the budget and uh, appropriations and that'll probably take up much of their uh, most of their time as long as well as the drink whatever kind of uh, um events occur in the uh, United States and the world that sort of kind of demand hearings. So uh, um, it's uh, interesting that the, that the House and Senate have moved closer together on their uh, their PBM uh, um, bills, but I still don't think it's quite enough to sort of kind of to uh, overcome that uh, um, looming election hurdle in terms of actually sort of getting anything uh, um, getting anything passed. But there obviously is sort of progress on those uh, um, those issues, which includes, uh, you know, things both good and bad for uh, um, uh, the pharma industry, because a lot of what uh, um, uh, the uh, um, Congress is using as a proposed pay-fors for this uh, these PBM reforms are uh, um, uh, generic accelerants, which, uh, um, you know, uh, um, firms don't uh, necessarily, uh, or, you know, brand firms don't necessarily, necessarily like. Yeah, it's... Interesting, you know, reality that we're we're going into. It seems like we're always in some kind of of a holding pattern, so to speak, because of elections. But um, <laughs> uh, another thing that kind of that came up that you know, I don't know if you want to say flew under the radar because it was a big deal was the the administration made a decision on marching rights and kind of moving that. You know, they didn't really move it forward, so to speak, but they kind of clarified how they want it used, which is a big deal. Marching rights are, they allow um, a government, uh, a, a patent that w- for a product that was partially government funded, in a lot of cases, drugs is a big category for that. They, the, the administration told the NIH that they could use pricing in their considerations as to whether to invoke the marching rights and allow 
um, follow-on products to be made, even though the patent was still running on it. A lot of people have been arguing for that for a while because, you know, a lot of NIH funding goes to the basic research that leads to billion-plus-dollar drugs and, you know, including, I believe, one of the COVID vaccines. I'm, I, I don't think it was both of them. I think it was just the, was it the Moderna one? That that was a, That's kind of another drug pricing issue that's kind of lingering out there. I'm not sure they're racing for the right case to, you know, kind of drop that hammer, but it, it seems like that this is that this is kind of another thing that's kind of hanging over industry, you know, sponsors' heads to kind of, you know, keep their, you know, to try and at least pressure the the pricing decisions a little bit, you know, upon launch, because they know that, you know, they get out of get out of line, you know, then this is another thing that they could be having to having to deal with. <coughs> Excuse me, absolutely. If uh, I could torture your uh, um. Radar analogy a bit, uh, you know. I think it's a uh, not so much flying under the radar, but through kind of a much bigger blip than an actual object uh, um, in terms of kind of the uh, the size of what people see on the screen is not through kind of what it's going to be, but it will obviously sort of have an impact. Uh, the um, uh, you know our analysis uh, is that sort of kind of that there's uh, probably very limited circumstances where even these new um, frameworks that are supposed to take pricing into account would actually sort of impact a um, uh, an invention that was for kind of uh, you know government funded to begin with, and then sort of kind of uh, commercialized by a uh, um, a drug firm. But uh, um, uh, tellingly, none of the examples in sort of, kind of in the new uh, um, uh, um, framework that's been rolled out sort of uh, involve what we would think of as a classic example of a uh, of a high price drug, you know, quote unquote restricting access or sort of kind of uh, um, requiring a government margin in that um, in that, in that instance. But it is now explicitly allowed to sort of kind of be uh, be considered as sort of kind of people look at these things. So, uh, um, you know, there could be another push by uh, um, the activist groups that have been trying to use this to uh, um, to see what they can uh, um, they can get out of a uh, you know more uh, um, more inclined uh, um, government uh, now. So. Uh, there is uh, obviously uh, um, uh, an issue here that sort of the government's kind of uh, you know making a bigger deal of the ability to margin based on pricing, but sort of kind of mechanically there doesn't actually seem to be much of a risk. What the 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 biggest impact uh, that we believe will uh, will happen is that sort of kind of companies will be a little more reticent to actually uh, um, contract with the uh, the government because of that uh, um, that factor. So it could sort of kind of slow the uh, the uptake of government sponsored innovations into uh, um, into development programs and eventually the market. So. Yeah, it's a you know drug pricing is the kind of the topic that never ends, and and we're we're probably going to see you know th these won't be the only issues that we talk about in 2024, but it's certainly you know something that's going to be front of mind for a lot of people, especially people running for president and and so forth, and 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 uh, you know Congress. So definitely uh, you know one of the big issues to watch you know as we go. Finally, we're going to look at the FDA user fee reauthorization in 2023 appropriations legislation, which extended PDUFA, GDUFA, and BZUFA another five years and implemented a bunch of policy changes for the agency. So the three user fee program sizes will continue to grow thanks to the bills. We also saw significant changes to the accelerated approval program that could allow for quicker product withdrawals should benefit not be confirmed. The FDA was given the ability to, or was told they may require confirmatory studies to be ongoing at the time of approval. But that's been a point of contention. And once the, the language came out, rare disease groups were worried that they didn't want that to become a blanket mandate, 
that 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 studies be ongoing at the time of approval because these smaller biotech firms that a lot of them that work in the rare disease uh, space would have to incur all those costs a bit uncertainty about even getting the approval because the trials would have to be set up ahead of time but in the oncology space uh rick pastor the director of the oncology center of excellence at fda suggested he's going to be really strict about the definition of what ongoing means, saying no accelerated approval will be granted if the trials are not what he defines as ongoing, and there's guidance being written on that. Uh, in addition, we saw a, we saw some of the results of the push to in, uh, increase clinical trial diversity that came out of the pandemic. Um, new clinical trial diversity plan requirements were put into place. Those all that those all to be submitted now with the uh, pivotal trials, um, but but there was the FDA didn't get any ability to mandate post-approval studies should the diversity targets not be met that were set. Um, FDA officials still are encouraging sponsors really like hard to push for diverse patient populations in the trials. At the same time, sponsors are wondering about potential penalties for not meeting diversity targets, and we could see more detail on that in 2024. But the agency has already kind of said that they're going to be flexible and they're not going to be shutting people down because they don't they you know they, it's they can't find all the patients they said they wanted to find at uh, you know when the protocols were written. So uh, Matt, I don't know if any of those or if there is something else that I'm not talking about that really from those uh, bills that are that you think is potentially impacting pharma in 2024. I think it's a great uh, summer, Derek. I, you know, I think obviously uh, um, it, it all depends on sort of kind of how uh, um, e, uh, FDA and then sort of kind of each uh, individual uh, uh, center and division, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, interpret this uh, legislation, and then uh, um, you know, sort of kind of how persuasive uh, each individual uh, sponsor is in sort of kind of making their case that sort of whatever they have going on is going to. Uh, Satisfy uh, either through kind of the uh, the ongoing requirement if you're talking about the accelerated approval, and then uh, um, you know as we look towards sort of the uh, the clinical trial diversity uh, um, requirements that are also sort of kind of included uh, in not so, so uh, not quite as strong uh, language that uh, um, you know will also sort of be uh, be something that sort of kind of sponsors will need to uh, um, start uh, thinking about uh, um, that uh, um, you know that that's those are big. Uh, Radar uh, um, items uh, um, for uh, for them to uh, make sure that they have they have a have a plan to uh, to address those uh, concerns that FDA is now empowered to uh, to worry about. Yeah, and something while we were all talking about this that you just made me think of the the big you know gene therapy is not a new issue that's been ongoing now for a while, but uh, the FDA got the uh, platform designation program in um, in these bills. And that allow that's supposed to make it easier for sponsors that have gene therapies that can be adjusted quickly based with like a, I mean it's the best way to describe it is you have a platform and then you change a couple of things and you could use it to target different diseases and the designation is supposed to make it easier for those changes to be made quickly so if um, you know sponsors start coming up with those you know you could see it could exponentially you know kind of um, um, increase the number of gene therapies that are made available and kind of widen the diseases that they target um, here going forward, depending on how the FDA um, uses that program. So it's another interesting thing to, to um, you know, to think about. Yeah, if I could uh, um, 
mentioned the the dark side of that uh, coin uh, that uh, um, it it may mean that uh, they don't uh, um, get a uh, um, rare disease voucher if it's uh, um, considered the same uh, um, the same product. You know, we saw that uh, um, sort of play out with uh, Bluebird's approval uh, um, for its uh, uh, sickle cell uh, um, product uh, late last year. So uh, um, you know, it's obviously sort of kind of uh, great that companies will be able to uh, move this stuff forward uh, much faster. But there are sort of kind of uh, Regulatory incentives that uh, that come with uh, the more bespoke uh, development, and uh, you know we'll obviously see how things play out for Bluebird. They're not uh, they're not uh, um, uh, throwing in the towel on getting that uh, um, getting that voucher, but uh, um, you know if uh, it could be a harbinger of things to come, especially if uh, um, gene therapy becomes more routinized. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Well, that's all for today. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this and all our other podcasts on the Sightline channel on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and Spotify Podcasts, and via Spark Speakers if one of those platforms has been set up as your default podcast provider. Thanks again for listening to this special edition of Drug Fix. I'm Derek Ingery with Ian Schofield and Nielsen Hobbs. Take care, and we'll see you next time. 